know, I've been thinking a lot about dust lately. You know, the stuff that's left when the spring mud dries off on your clothes. Now, Genesis says we come from dust, and to dust we shall return. We are not long for this world. People are like a breath. Their days are like a passing shadow. Now, James, the brother of Jesus, said we are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The singer Dave Grohl said, no one's getting out of here alive. It could be on the way home today. It could be 20 years from now when you shuffle off this mortal coil. Our time here is finite. There are limited chances to love, work, and strive for bigger things than ourselves and make our mark on this world. You don't need me to tell you. You've lost loved ones in tragic accidents and sicknesses. We've all been touched by loss. Some folks get long, rich lives on this planet, but it's always marked by an end. And then what? What happens? Does anybody really know? Even Jesus died. He was said to be the son of God. In fact, he died in just about the worst way you can imagine. You've maybe heard a thing or two about what happened to him. Now in the final week of his life, Jesus made a long trip to Jerusalem. It was Passover, the holy week when Jewish people celebrate their ancient story about how God liberated them from slavery and invited them into a covenant relationship. At his last supper, Jesus used the symbols of Passover to reveal the meaning of his coming death. The broken bread was his broken body, and the wine was his blood that would open up a new way forward. Now after the meal, Jesus took his disciples to a garden to pray. But religious leaders found him and arrested him. But they couldn't execute Jesus without permission from the Romans. So they made up this charge that Jesus was a rebel king stirring up revolution against the Roman emperor. The leaders decided to release an actual criminal against Rome instead of Jesus. And so the innocent one was handed over in place of the guilty. Now, Jesus was taken away with two other accused criminals and nailed to a Roman execution device, the cross. Well, people mocked him, but Jesus loved his enemies to the very end offering hope to one of the criminals dying beside him. He even prayed for his executioners. The sky darkened, and Jesus cried out with ancient words from Israel's Psalms, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then Jesus died, unfairly judged and alone. Kind of heavy, but it's Easter, so we get to talk about what comes next. Life. A couple days later, some women who had followed Jesus came to visit the tomb his body had been placed in, and they found it open and empty. They encountered mysterious figures telling them that Jesus was alive. So they ran away terrified, and nobody believed their story. I mean, could he be alive? They all saw him die. Then Jesus shows up walking alongside a couple of his followers who were hightailing it out of Jerusalem. 
but they don't know it's him. They were blind to Jesus. But then they sit down for a meal with Jesus. He takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and gives it to them, just as he did at the Last Supper. It's when they take the broken bread, that's when their eyes are open to Jesus. He spent 40 days on earth appearing to hundreds of people, including some of his closest friends, convincing them beyond any doubt that he had risen from the dead. And then the Bible tells us that Jesus was taken up into the skies, which to the people around him would have represented the place of God's throne, heaven. So what do we do with the resurrection of Jesus? And what does it mean for us? Is it just a story? If he really did transcend death, could there be hope for the rest of us? Is there hope for us right now? And what about eternity? Others have said it, uh, but I wanna say it as well, welcome. So glad that you're here with us. There's something that we say uh, around Journey, but I want you to know that we really mean it. Wherever you are at in your journey toward God, you are welcome here. You might be here today, you might not even consider yourself a person of faith, and maybe you're completely skeptical about everything that you just heard. I'm so glad that you're here. And maybe you're here today and uh, you've been away from God or away from church for a while, and I just wanna say to you, Welcome back. And maybe you're here today, and the only reason that you're here today is that you know this afternoon, your mama is gonna call and ask you if you went to church today, and you don't wanna say no to your mama. I'm so glad, my mama would've called me, I know. There's lots of reasons that we showed up here today. But something that I think a thread that ties us all together is our need for hope in this world. And I don't have to tell you that hope sometimes can be in very, very short supply. Amanda Todd needed hope. When Amanda Todd was a little girl, she didn't imagine that one day she was gonna grow up to be the poster child for hopelessness and despair in this world. But she did. At the age of 15, a predator on the internet told her how beautiful that she was and convinced her to take a compromising picture of herself. And then he blackmailed her and said, if you don't reveal more, I'm gonna put this stuff out there on the internet. And so she did, but he did. He did it anyway. Immediately, humiliation and cruel taunting came at her from her peers. From the high school hallway to the internet highway, she became the laughing stock of everyone in her circle. She could not escape it. This already fragile and private person, she just completely retreated into herself. She avoided people, she stayed home. Her world just became incredibly small and started to collapse around her. She couldn't escape it. The texts, the calls, the posts. She changed schools, she changed cities, she did everything she could, but the mocking and the stalking continued. Her life spiraled down into a life of drugs and alcohol. She cut herself, 
And in desperation, she drank bleach to try to take her life. And then one of her final acts of desperation, she posted a nine-minute video on YouTube. And she used flashcards set to music to recount the months that she had experienced of despair and hopelessness. And friends, I want us to just look into the eyes of Amanda Todd, and I want us to watch the last minute of her video. nobody. I need someone. My name is Amanda Todd. Is there anybody out there that could love me? Is there anybody out there who cares? In case there is, she just wanted the world to know my name is Amanda Todd. As we stand here today, as we sit here today, we've got to ask the question, is there hope for the Amanda Todds of this world? Does Jesus offer a promise of hope to someone like her? Now, you might sit there today and say, Bob, that just seems like such an extreme case. Those things don't happen in our world. They don't happen in Bozeman, Montana. We live in the most beautiful place on the planet. You know better. Many of you in this room have been touched by other people's lives that have experienced things like Amanda Todd. And you know what? We've experienced many of those things ourselves. We know her story. For some of us, that is our story as well. We know what it's like to experience an abusive childhood. We know what it's like to experience an abusive marriage, a debilitating accident, suffering through years and years and years of chronic pain, public ridicule. We've experienced loss. We've lost jobs. We've lost marriages. We've lost loved ones. Maybe we've just lost our way. All of us need hope. We need hope. 2,000 years ago, there was another young woman that was the poster child for hopelessness and despair. And if she could have shot a YouTube video 2,000 years ago, this is how hers would have ended. 
She would have said, I have nobody. I need someone. My name is Mary. Mary Magdalene. When Mary comes on the scene in the scriptures, she has no one. She needs someone. The only thing that she has is seven demons. She is oppressed by demons. Before she knew Jesus, she was a prisoner to these seven afflictions. How did these demons manifest themselves in her life? We have absolutely no idea. Maybe it was depression. Maybe it was loneliness, shame, fear, insecurity, abandonment. Here's what happened. Something happened in Mary's life. She met Jesus. Jesus came into her life. Jesus spoke and the demons fled. She was relieved. She was restored. The oppressive forces were gone. Suddenly Mary Magdalene, she could sleep again. She could eat again. She could smile again. Jesus restored her life and hope was reborn. And it changed her life forever. She didn't just say thank you to Jesus and move on. She followed him with everything that she had, everywhere that he went. She was one of his most earliest and loyal followers. She was one of this small group of women that gave generously out of their own resources to support the life and ministry of Jesus while he was here on earth. She watched him teach. She saw the amazing miracles that he performed. And the scriptures tell us, John tells us, that she was there at the crucifixion. One of the few little handful of women named Mary that showed up for Jesus' crucifixion. John tells us she was near the cross. When they pounded the nails into his hand, Mary heard the hammer. When they took the spear and they ran it up into his side and the blood came down, she saw all of it. When they lowered his body off of the cross, Mary was there because she wanted to take care of his body to help prepare him for a proper burial. Mary was there on that Friday when Jesus died and so did her hope. She spent a lonely and sad Sabbath on Saturday. And when Sunday morning came, she was just going to the tomb of Jesus because she wanted to finish the work that she started of taking care of his body. And that's where we pick up the story right here in John chapter 20, John's account of the resurrection, starting in verse one. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Get the picture in your mind. It is O oh, dark 30. Mary is showing up at the tomb, and what she thought was bad news has turned to worse. The tomb is empty, the stone is rolled away, and the body is gone. She is assuming grave robbers. Somebody took the body. Now, I wanna, if we could just stop for a second. I want us to just put a little parentheses around what we're seeing here. And maybe today, if you're a skeptic, if you just think this whole idea, this whole thought that Jesus rose from the dead, I am so skeptical that that is true. I just want to tell you, you are in incredible company. All of the closest followers of Jesus were complete skeptics. 
And they had this opportunity throughout his life and ministry. They heard him many times say, I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. But on the third day, I'm going to be raised from the dead. Many times they heard that. But what did they do when he was crucified? They ran. They ran for the hills. No one except these three women were there at his funeral. And how many people were waiting at the tomb on the third day for the resurrection? Zero. Absolutely zero. And here's what I find even more ironic. You know who actually had more faith in the words of Jesus than his closest followers? His enemies. Because in Matthew's account of the resurrection, there was a guard at the tomb. Why was there a guard at the tomb? Because the Roman government put it there. Why? Matthew chapter 27, verse 62. The next day, the one after the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he was raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. So Pilate answers, take a guard, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. They took Jesus' words more seriously than his followers did. No one that morning was expecting a resurrection. They were scared, they were scattered, and they were skeptics. So when Mary shows up this day, she is not expecting resurrection, she is expecting theft. That's what happened to the body. Verse two, she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and John, the text tells us, they race to the tomb. John gets there first and they start to look inside and since John wrote this account, he kind of gives us like a little bubble above his head. This is kind of this internal dialogue as he starts to do the math on everything that he's seeing right here. First thing he thinks about is the resurrection prophecies. Jesus talked about being raised from the third day. And now I'm looking here in this tomb and I'm seeing linens that are here that his body was wrapped in. The linens are there, the body is gone. The head cloth is rolled up and sat to the side the tomb is empty. John's doing the math, comes to the conclusion, Jesus was not stolen. He has risen from the dead. And John says, he believed. Easter had its very first celebrant, and it was John. What do Peter and John do then? They race, because they want to go tell everybody else. John 10, 20, it just says simply, then they went home. They went to tell the others, but they didn't tell Mary. And now you would imagine, like if you, if you were making a Hollywood film about this, wouldn't you take the cameras and wouldn't you follow Peter and John? I mean, think about what's gonna happen with them. They're gonna be the leaders of the church. This was Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John, two of the big three. They're gonna be the ones that write scripture. Peter's gonna lead the church in the book of Acts. 
preaching, people are gonna come to faith in Christ. Follow them. That's where the camera should go, shouldn't it? But it doesn't. What could be more important to God than those leaders of the church? What seems to be more important to God is the one who was left behind because that's who John tells the story about. Do you ever wonder when you're in positions like Mary, alone and sad, do you ever wonder, does God care in my aloneness, my loneliness? Does God see me when I'm in this place of hopelessness and despair? When it seems like everybody else, when they post things in life, it's hashtag blessed, but not me. Does God see me? If you ever wonder that, friends, you've got to let this next scene from the resurrection story be etched, etch it into your heart, into your mind, into your soul. Because this shows us what has the attention of God. His attention goes to the one who's alone. The one whose face is just awash with tears. Her shoulders are sobbing outside the tomb. This is what John tells us, verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. And she just saw it again. He's gone. He's gone. Have you ever had moments like that? Moments where you came searching for God with everything that you had and he just wasn't there. You couldn't find him. Maybe in some ways, Mary's story is your story. And if that's true, you're gonna absolutely love what happened next. Because in the midst of Mary's darkest, darkest moment, the sun came out. Not the S-U-N, the S-O-N, pun intended. That's good stuff right there. (laughs) Verse 14, she turned to leave and she saw someone, someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. She wasn't expecting him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, Tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. She didn't recognize him. So Jesus did something about it. He said her name. Jesus said her name. Verse 16, he simply says, Mary. Mary. I wonder what it was that clicked in Mary's mind when she heard Jesus say her name. Maybe it was the way that he said it. Maybe it was his voice inflection in some way. His tone. Maybe it was his Galilean accent that gave him away in that moment. But maybe for her, it was just remembering that this was that first man that said her name in a way that gave her value and dignity. Maybe that's what she was hearing again for the very first time. But as she stood there, she realized Jesus knows my name. 
Hallelujah is right. And weeping turned to hope. Dead Jesus was alive. The resurrection, he was alive. Here's the response. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. And then for my money, this is my favorite part. I think this might be the most beautiful scene of the resurrection morning. She took hold of him. Mary took hold of him. Now there's lots of times I just think there's scenes in the scripture that I just wish I could be there. I wish I could have seen this is one. I wished I could have been there. I don't know what she did. Maybe she fell on the ground and grabbed his legs. I don't know. I want to believe that she just walked up to him, gave him a big bear hug, and buried her head in his chest and grabbed a hold of him because he knew her name. You know what I love about that picture? Is it was so inappropriate. In the first century, Women, they didn't go around grabbing men. And you didn't grab rabbis. And this was no ordinary rabbi. This was the resurrected son of God. You know what this tells me about the heart of God? What he wants us to see in this picture is that he wants us to understand that he's not too holy for us to reach out and grab him. He's not too otherly, too divine, too supernatural. He knows our name and he invites us to grab a hold of him. I love this about God. And then you just think about it. Of all the people that Jesus could have shown himself to first after the resurrection, he went to Mary. I mean, just think about what had just happened. He had just given his life His life, death, burial, and now resurrection has taken the gates of hell and ripped them off of the hinges. There are thousands upon thousands of angels waiting at his command to do whatever he says. And what does Jesus do? He takes time for a heartbroken, sad, lonely woman that needs hope, that needed hope. Why Mary? I mean, when we read this story, we don't know what's gonna happen to her after. She she never becomes a missionary that we know anything about. She never writes scripture. That was Peter, John, that was the other. That's where Jesus was, with the one that needed hope in the place of despair. Hope comes when Jesus comes. Hope comes when Jesus comes. And like Mary even if we don't recognize his face, Jesus calls our name. He knows your name, your name. Not in general, he knows your name. Your name is not hidden somewhere in some heavenly file, some heavenly Rolodex that he's got to look up to figure out who you are. He doesn't need you to wear a name tag where he comes up and like, I I know I know you from somewhere, who are you? He knows your name. Your name is tattooed, engraved in the nail scars of his hands. He knows who you are. He knows your name.
Do you find that hard to believe? Do you think that I'm talking to somebody else? Someone else that might be what you would call holier, nicer, better. I'm not. I'm talking directly to you. He knows your name. And it's not only that he knows your name, he loves you. He cares about you. You didn't earn that love, but I can look you right in the eye and say, absolutely, you have never lived an unloved day. He has always loved you. His thoughts about you are many. Maybe someone has told you, God loves good people. Wrong. There are no good people. Every one of us are broken and needy of God's grace in our lives. None of us are good in and of ourselves. Maybe someone's told you, God loves those that love him first. Wrong again. God loves people who have never thought about him. And he moves toward them. He knows their name. And hope comes when Jesus comes. This is what I love about this story. When I think about Mary, everything in me wants to be like Mary. She continued to move toward Jesus. Even in her darkest moments. Even when the night was dark, the tears were many, hope seemed drained, expectations were low, she kept coming to meet Jesus. She continued to put herself in places where Jesus was. Friends, we need to follow Mary's example. Wherever we're at on our journey, keep moving toward Jesus. Don't give up. Even if it seems dark, even if your expectations are low, keep coming to Jesus. She had no idea the magnitude of what she was gonna experience that morning that she showed up, but she showed up. She came, she kept coming to Jesus. What about you? You're gonna keep coming? Keep moving toward him? Don't give up. You might be tempted to want to give up, to quit coming to him. Don't give up. Keep moving toward him. Do whatever it takes. Open up your Bible again, even if it's been years. Open up the scriptures and begin to look at them, meditate on who he is and the magnitude of what it is that he's done for you. Begin to be with people who are also trying to follow him in authentic and genuine ways. Don't give up. Hope comes when Jesus comes. And friends, he knows your name. Jesus knows your name. I want to just ask you to put your things aside and could you just, could we just as a family, as friends, could we just reflect on that for a handful of moments? The magnitude and the beauty of the reality that the God of the universe knows your name and is inviting you to himself.
heads with our heads still bowed in a posture of prayer just want to talk to you for a second there might be some in this room that are thinking if Jesus knows my name if Jesus is inviting me to follow him I want to do that I want to say yes to that if there's something stirring in you to do that I want to help you move toward him in that way I'm just going to pray a prayer a simple prayer and in the quietness of your own heart I just want you to express that to God if that's the desire of your heart it goes something like this Jesus, I want to say to you today that I believe that you are alive and that you know my name. I need you today. Thank you for raising from the dead and proving once and for all that you have power over sin and death. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross in my place to pay the penalty for my sin. Thank you for taking my sin upon yourself and giving me your righteousness. Jesus, I want to turn from my sin today and I want to respond to you in faith and trust. I open the door of my life today and I invite you to be my Lord and to be my Savior. I give you control of my life today and I am choosing to follow you as my King. I belong to you, and I ask you to make me the kind of person that you want me to be. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.